Today's scripture reading is from First uh, John, uh, chapter one, verse five to chapter two, verse one. Uh, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in, in Him is no darkness at all. If we if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the, tr the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Uh, this is the reading of God's word. Well, it's good to see everybody here today. Um, I know that it's like end of the month, and it seems like people are out. I heard it was like Rosh Hashanah or something, kids are off or something, so I, I didn't know. But um, nevertheless, we, we just finished a, a series on Friendship. Uh, Pastor James gave a, series, um, a little message on community in action. And uh, next month in October, uh, we're going to call that Missions Month. And so we're actually going to be focusing on, on our ministry of missions um, for the whole month. Uh, as you, many of you already know, Paul and Susan, who are right now here in the States on sabbatical, they're primarily the missionaries we support in Southeast Asia, and so they also will be joining us and uh, giving you a presentation, but also to kind of encourage us uh, with the work as well. And so next month in October, that's when we'll start Missions Month, and we'll go into more a little bit of that later. So I had this one Sunday to talk about something, not what we've done before, but not talking about missions yet, and so I was trying to think about what, what I can share with this message, and I was thinking... Just something that is of a reminder, as we heard Steve just read from First John, something about confession. Um, you know, if I think about it, one of the ways that I realized someone thought I was close to them uh, was one moment in college when there was a bunch of us hanging out, and one of our friends wanted to you know, we, we usually just hang out, talk. We, back then, we played Street Fighter too a lot. Um, but then he, he wanted to just talk, you know, as we ate. And then he actually, um, you know, he actually broke down. He actually confessed uh, what he was struggling with, what he was going through. And the thing is, we hung out every single day, and none of us had a clue. You know, none of us had a clue. And, and the reason probably for that is, is you know, especially as guys back then, um, we weren't good at sharing, like, what we were really going through. We tend to keep it inside. We, we tend to hang out and just do everything else but really talk about those things. And, and apparently it just broke him to a point where he just had to let it out. And so we realized we, we didn't know what to say. Uh, we didn't know how to deal with that, the rest of us who heard this, because, like, uh, we never dealt with it, you know? And it was surprising that... He would even share. But what I realized was this. It takes a lot of courage to be able to make a confession, right? It takes a lot of confidence in a relationship to confess something. And one of the things I realized is our relationship must, he must have thought it was close enough where 
he could actually speak to us something that was very difficult and very hard. And I, I think going forward, I'd like to ask yourself or ask you to ask yourself this question. As close as you are with people, are there relationships in your life where you feel comfortable enough where you can actually make confessions? Now, when I say confession, I'm talking about being able to share something that you know you're struggling with, that you know it's not very good, right? That's hard. Um, that maybe you've done wrong and your, your conscience has been bugging you, but you just never shared it with anyone. Can you share someone? Can you confess, especially sin? Can you confess that to anyone, right? Here's what I want to talk about, and this is why I think confession is important. You know, in our service, every Sunday, we have a portion in our service. We call it prayer for grace, but really, it's a prayer for confession. It's a prayer for forgiveness. We make time every Sunday to confess before God. That's what we say when we introduce that prayer, like, just trust that God is faithful because he's hearing and he's listening, and he's faithful to forgive. Why? Because he gave his son, Jesus Christ. And so it's important to understand what this confession thing is. I thought it might be helpful to think about as we move forward as a community. Three things here I want to talk about here. Number one, Christians confess. Number two, Christians look forward to confession. And number three, Christians need confession. We confess, we look forward to confession, and we need confession. Okay? So here's the first thing. Christians confess. John here is writing this letter to the churches to encourage them, to affirm them in their faith. He wants them to know what Christians believe and, and how they're supposed to live. He wants to give them an assurance of their salvation. And in verse 5, we're told that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And then from verses 6 to verse 10 in our passage, there's a series of if statements if and then statements for to be exact in verse 7 he says if we walk in the light we have fellowship verse 8 if we have we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves verse 9 if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive and then in verse 10 he says if we say we have not sinned we make him a liar all of these if statements flow from this one truth in verse 5, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And I want you to understand the manner of these statements. If we walk, if we say, if we confess, if we say, these if statements are things that we do, things that we are doing. And this is important to know because in Christianity, when we become a Christian, we need to really understand this. If you're not a Christian today, or if you are, but you're not sure again, Christianity and being Christian is not first about your doing. It's first about God's doing, right? It's first about what, what Jesus has done. I am completely saved because of what God has done on my behalf for me through Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. In other words, there is nothing I do first that gets me in. But it's what God has done for me that has brought me in. And that is why it's faith in Him, that's why we say faith in Him, and not by my efforts or works. Now, I know many of you already know this, but do you really know this? Do we really live out this in our own lives? Right? Right? Do we really know this in our heart of hearts? 
That's what we call the gospel. That's why we call it good news. Because if this is true, then when we look at our passage here, what are all these if statements about us doing something all about? And the reason John is talking about our doing here in this passage is not because he's talking about us being Christian, being saved, but he's talking about us now living out our Christian identity. In other words, he's not talking about our justification, which means you are now declared righteous in Christ based on his righteousness according to your faith, but he's talking about our sanctification, not being Christian, but growing, living, doing as a Christian by faith in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Here in this passage, when he says, if you say this, if you do this, if you confess, then this, then this, what he's not saying is this. He's not asking you, are you really a Christian? That's not what he's asking here. He's saying, look, you are a Christian, and now Christians do this. And one of the things we see in our passage that Christians do is in verse 9. Christians confess sins. Now, this ought to be illuminating for many of us because I think when the average person thinks about being a Christian or being religious, immediately they think, among many things, someone who's supposed to be moral, someone who's always trying to do good, someone who is doing the right thing all the time, right? Someone who's very religious. And that's why there are so many people out there today who don't like Christians because that's the image that we seem to always want to portray, that we're the moral ones and they're the immoral ones, that we're the righteous ones and they're the unrighteous ones, that we got it all together, but they're the messed up ones. But when you carefully read the Gospel of John, he's saying this, verse 9, if you are a Christian, if you walk in the light, if you are a believer, then one of the things Christians do is confess their sin. Isn't that interesting? John's a realist. He's not saying, if you're a Christian, well, then you should be moral. If you're a Christian, you should be righteous. If you're a Christian, you should be so good. Very opposite. If you're a Christian, you confess your sin. And that means that Jesus knows, like everyone else needs to remember, that Christians, even Christians, just as much, sometimes even more than anyone else, still sin. They still have issues. They still have problems. They still make mistakes. They still struggle with temptation. And if you can't admit that, even in the church, then John says, you're deceiving yourself. You're a liar. But the difference between a Christian and someone who's not is that even though they mess up, even in their sin, they also confess. They confess those sins. Right? That's the first point. Christians confess. But second point, not only do we confess or should confess, Christians look forward to confession. We look forward to it. Now, I know when the word confession comes out, it sounds kind of scary, you know, it sounds like the Spanish Inquisition or something, where you think that, you know, you're set before a bunch of religious leaders, and you're told, just basically, you're told this, admit it, I know you did it, 
right? Just admit it. I know you did it. Maybe in your relationships, some of us, maybe, maybe in your marriages, that's how your argument goes with your spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend. You know, someone's done something wrong, and you're just trying to find someone to admit it. Just admit it. You're frustrated because your spouse never admits they're wrong. Your friend never would admit it. And you're trying to get them to confess. Just confess. Admit it. You're guilty. That's all we think about when we think about confession. But that's not what John's talking about. When he says Christians confess, he's not just saying, I know you did it. Just admit it. Think about this. Um, If you have children, you ever confront them with something they've done wrong? Like you've told them not to do something wrong, uh, and they've done it. You know they've done it. You know they've done it. But when you confront them to see if they will admit it, do you know how hard it is to get them to admit it many times? Do you know how hard that is? No matter how many times you try to encourage them, I will not punish you. I will not, you know, spank you. I will not give you time out. I, 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 will, I will even take you to your favorite restaurant. Just let's talk about this issue here, this thing that you've done that I've said. Do you know how hard it is to get someone to do that? Why? Why is that? Why is that? Because deep down when we are trying to confess something, there is a fear. A fear. I'm afraid. Not just a punishment. I'm afraid you won't like me anymore. I'm afraid you won't love me anymore. I'm afraid you're going to think I'm crazy and you're not going to accept me anymore. So rather than do that, we get defensive, right? We get insecure. We don't want to be exposed. We'd rather confess other people's sin than our own issues. And no one likes to be judged. But that's not what Christian confession means. It isn't just admitting your guilt and then taking the fall. Getting punished, getting kicked out, getting abandoned, getting disowned. Why? Because look in our passage in chapter 2, verse John chapter 2. John says, my children, my little children, I'm writing these to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. He's, verse 2, he's the propitiation for our sins. Two reasons why we don't look at confession that way. One is we have an advocate. When we confess sin to God, we remember that he's on our side. We have someone who is on our side, not against us, not to judge us, but on our side. We have an advocate, Jesus Christ. Why? Because verse 2, it says he was the propitiation for our sins. Now, what's propitiation? Basically, it just means he died for you. He took care of the anger. He took care of the punishment, the wrath that, that it deserved, right? He took our ultimate punishment. Now, think about this. We're afraid to confess to others because we're afraid of being punished, being kicked out, being abandoned, being rejected. But if we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross to take care of that wrath. In other words, on the cross, he took our punishment. On the cross, he was the one kicked out. On the cross, he got abandoned by his own father. On the cross, he was the one that took the fall as he hung on the cross. Why? So that we wouldn't have to. And so because of what Jesus has done for us, God is now no longer our creator and judge. He is our father in heaven, and we're his children. And that's why John addresses this church, chapter 2, verse 1. What does he say? My little children. That's a very important thing to remember. Because when you sin, and you will, there's only two ways to see God. 
Either you're going to run away from him, you're going to avoid him, you're going to ignore him, like Adam did in the Garden of Eden. You're going to cover up everything that you've done wrong because you don't want to admit it, and you're afraid. You don't want to deal with it. You want to ignore it. You want to pretend it's not there. You want to ask, say it's not a problem. Or the other op- uh, option is this. You're actually, in your confession, you're not going to run away from him. You're going to run to him. You're going to run to Christ. Why? Because you know you've got an advocate, Jesus Christ. He's on your side. You know he's made the sacrifice for you. And because of that, God is not just a judge. He's your Father in heaven who cares. Confession for the Christian is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. So Christians look forward to confession. Okay, so Christians confess. They look forward to confession. Third point, Christians need confession. We need confession. So Christians, real Christians, they confess. They look forward to confessing. They don't run away. They run to him. And finally, it's something that they need. Need. Now, now why is it? Why is it that every Sunday we have a prayer time where you can have an opportunity to confess? Why do we do this? Think about it. Think about the cross. Just think about this for a minute. Uh, what exactly did Jesus do there on the cross? Well, we know, many of us already know, well, that's where he paid the penalty for my sins. That's why we got forgiveness. But I want to think, ask you the question, how big do you really think that, that, that thing was? How big, how, how expensive, how, how priceless do you think Jesus on the cross was for you? Let me tell you something. You know, in the Old Testament, it's pretty much how we function today. There was always an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, one act for another act. I saw once a family that was, uh, their, their kids were going crazy. Uh, it, was, it was a boy and a girl they had, and, and they were fighting, right? They were fighting in the restaurant, and, and I was watching how, how, how the parents are going to handle this, you know, because it's going to require some kind of discipline. And, 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 and so the girl comes to daddy and says, Daddy, you know what? Uh, my brother's hitting on me. So daddy goes to the brother and takes his son, uh, puts him right in front of his daughter, and he says to his daughter, I want you to hit him once. I want you to hit him once. And so I'm watching the whole thing, and the girl hits her brother once. I said, now you're even. Now go. Right? It's eye for an eye. It's tooth for a tooth. It's one act for another. One crime for another crime. And the punishment oftentimes fits the crime. That's how we all think. But here's the question then. How many times do you sin? I'll be very honest. Let me confess. More than I can count. How many times did Jesus die? Just one time. To really appreciate forgiveness, to really appreciate the magnitude of what Jesus did, you've got to really understand the magnitude of our sins, the quantity of our sins. They are multiple, some worse than others. And yet, God doesn't do eye for an eye, a sin for a sin. He doesn't make you pay back over and over and over again. He doesn't make his son die again and again and again for every time we mess up. We don't have to keep making sacrifices for every sin. You don't have to keep making payback for every wrong. It's completely different from how we often do things. Right? 
Now, let me think about this. Uh, we never talk about it, but let's talk about hell. Hell. Okay, if there is a hell, if you believe in a hell, you might be asking the question, how could God punish someone for one particular sin, one particular act in history for an eternity? For that one mistake, for that one moment in time where they messed up, how could God punish someone for an eternity? And it doesn't make sense to us, but if you think about it in a human level, we've all, we all relate with this. When we feel wronged, what do we do? We want payback. But we don't just want payback one time. We don't feel satisfied with that. We want it over and over and over again. And sometimes it's never ending. For some of us, I'm always going to give you the cold shoulder. For some of us, I'm never going to stop not talking to you. For some of us, I'm always going to think negative of you. You're on my blacklist, and it's infinite. Never-ending. You know what you're doing when you're doing that? You're giving hell. You're giving hell. And yet in our passage today, John says, God is light. There is no darkness in him, not at all. He is an infinite God, and that means he is infinitely holy. And then the sins against him, the sins, the offense is infinite. Not in number, but to whom it's been done to. Over and over again. But the amazing grace is that the infinite offense, the infinite payback that it deserves, is taken care of just one time in history. How? Because it was Jesus who was also infinitely gracious, infinitely faithful, and infinitely God and was able to cover all those sins by his blood. That's how big he is. Not Paul, not Moses, not Abraham. It had to be him. Nobody else could make that price pay. God's payback one time on his one son, Jesus was good enough once for all. That's why John 3.16, the same book that John wrote, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but what? Have eternal life. The only way one sacrifice, one person in history, one payment can cover an infinite amount of debt with infinite consequences all of my sin in my life and yours and the world is if that payment is that big. And that's how big Jesus' death is for us. That's how big his love is for us. Everything I've ever done, everything I ever do, everything I ever will do has been covered already. That's why we sing that song sometimes, right? You are my king. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted because you were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is with me. Why? Because you died and rose again. Amazing love. How can it be that you, my God, should die for me? Amazing love. Is it amazing to you? 
It, it should be. I've been forgiven. I am forgiven. I will be forgiven. The moment Jesus died for me 2,000-some years ago was the moment I've been saved, given a share in his inheritance, a place in his kingdom that will never change. And so John addresses us as God does, my little children. Now, if this is true, here's the question we've got to ask today. Then why do I need to confess my sins and receive forgiveness? Why do I need to receive my forgiveness? Why do I need to make a confession at all? If I'm forgiven already and I have Jesus, why do I need to do this? Two reasons. First, the reason we still need to confess is not because we are afraid we might not be forgiven or worse, that we might somehow lose our faith or our salvation. We confess not because we're afraid of a judge who might kick us to the curb, but we confess because we have a Father in whom we are called to have a real relationship. John is saying Christians need to confess, not because their salvation is at stake. It's already done in Christ. He's saying you need to confess because it's your growth in Christ that needs to happen. You know, in John chapter 13, John gives us this account where Jesus takes all his disciples and he starts washing their feet. And Peter goes, Lord, you know, don't wash my feet. I, you know, I don't deserve this. And then he says, if I don't wash your feet, you'll never have anything to do with me. And then John verse, chapter, uh, chapter 13, verse 10, Jesus says to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. This is what he's saying. Uh, at, you know, when I was little, we used to go out and play in the ditches. This was when I lived in the south, and there was nothing else to do, so we, we played in the ditches. We, we caught crawfish, right? We got dirty. And, and one of the things that we used to do was swing the, over this branch, on this branch over this ditch, and, and um, you know, all my friends did it, but when I did it, the branch broke. And so I fell into the ditch. I got dirty, muddy, dirty, wet from head to feet. I couldn't go home until I was all dry because I, I knew I would be punished, and I was afraid of that. Okay? So what I did was I went out into the, you know, the field and to the sun, and I, and I prayed to the sun god that, that I, would, I would dry out. And then, uh, you know, this is when I was little, and, and I dried out. So I ran back home, and, you know, they couldn't tell I got dirty, but then my, as I walked in, my mom looks at me, and she says, what did you do? I said, what are you talking about? And she pointed down to the floor, and what happened was there's footprints, muddy footprints that walked in all the way into the home. I was dry from head to toe, except my feet, actually, were still wet, and I still had to wash my feet. Jesus is saying here that you are clean, you've been bathed, you are accepted in Jesus Christ. But the problem that we have is our feet still get dirty. And what Jesus is implying is this, even though you're bathed and cleansed, that you don't need to be saved again, you've been forgiven, bathed as it were in the mercy and the grace of God through one sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But the problem is we still sin. That the presence and reality of sin is still there. In other words, our feet still get dirty. We don't need to be saved again, but we need to be continually washed. And that means we need to continually confess as a pattern of life. Not before a judge who will condemn us, but before a father who loves us and desires for us to continue to grow in fellowship with him. 
I mean, it's, it's common sense, right? Isn't it weird? Think of your friendships. Think of your relationships. When you've hurt each other, when you've gone to a big conflict, right, and, and, and then you just pretend it never happened, that you don't talk about the, 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 the issues that was really important there. There's unspoken hurt, unspoken wrongs, unspoken sins. You never talk about it. You never address it. You never, you know, really, you know, face up to it. You ignore it, maybe pretend it didn't happen. When you do that after a while, it, it changes the relationship. Because deep down, it's still there, and, and you're going to question it. It will always come up again and again and again. Uh, and, and so th- this is something that we need to bring out. And confess. And therefore, he continues to forgive us. He continues to wash our feet. Continue to wash our feet as we confess, okay? Okay. It's a relationship with him that needs to be ongoing. But the second reason we need to confess is this, and I'll end with this. Confessing is good because it helps keep things in perspective. You know, the problem with Christians and, and, and non-Christians even isn't always whether we believe that God is there or not there or whether we feel his presence sometimes or not. But sometimes the problem for us is that, well, right now in my life, It really doesn't matter whether he exists or not. It's irrelevant. I think that's our problem sometimes. You know, my first two years in college was at the University of Michigan, which was my, back then, it was my safety school. I didn't get to any school that I really wanted to go. But after two years, uh, my parents said, they asked me if I could transfer to Jersey to state school to Rutgers. I absolutely didn't want to do that. But I felt like I had no choice because it was a financial issue in the house. And my mom would tell me and explain to me, and she would say this, and she would say, son, we're still proud of you. We're still proud of you, and we love you. And this is what I thought at that moment. I realized that all the love my parents could give me at that moment was irrelevant. Because I wanted something else more than anything. It wasn't their love. I already knew they loved me, and I knew that it was a good thing. But for a while, in that moment, I didn't care. It didn't matter. It was irrelevant. Why? Because my heart wanted something else. And that's how we are sometimes, that when God says he loves us, he forgives us, he cares for us, our response is likewise. Well, you know, I I guess it's better than God loving me than hating me, but right now in my life, it doesn't make any difference to me because I want this, fill in the blank. I want someone else's love. I I want this job. I know God loves me, but, but I really want this, this appreciation, this respect. I want more money. I want better school. And as a Christian, every sin, every wrong thing we do ultimately begins with my heart and my desires that says, I, I have to have this. Some of those sins we commit come from desires that are just plain wrong. And really bad. And those things, you ought to bring them to God and confess them and turn and run. But the problem is, most of our desires have a seed of something good in them. Being loved or appreciated is good. Having a job, a great job, is great. Going to a great school is wonderful. Making a lot of money is wonderful. But when your desires, even for the good and legitimate things, are elevated at a level that is more important to you than God, and it happens, those things 
those desires in your life are too big, too much. And that's when my interests and my desires are at the center of the universe. How do you know what they are? Think about what you come to God for. Think about what you pray for all the time. When you pray, if you pray, what do you usually pray for? This, 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 this. And he doesn't answer. How do you respond? When my interests and desires are at the center of my universe and God is not, he becomes irrelevant. He doesn't really matter anymore. And in such cases, it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. In such cases, those are the things that Christians need to confess. Because here's what confession does. Confession takes something that has gotten too big in my heart in my life and it shrinks them down to their intended size. Confession is an essential part of miniaturization of my desires gone crazy. And we pray this way. We say, Lord, forgive me. I want more for me, but my desires right now is what matters the most, and they are the center of my world, and I know it shouldn't be. You should be. Help me to switch that up. And when we confess, a funny thing happens. God's love starts making a difference. His love was never meant to just satisfy our desires that have gone ballistic. Instead, his love brings down those desires to a size, to a smaller size, and then fills us to overflowing with his own blessings. Christians confess, they look forward to confession, and they need it. We need it. Okay? We need it. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, if we come to you at all, we pray that it wouldn't just be because we're in trouble and we need help, or that we have things we want done, fulfilled, given to us. We pray, Lord, uh, you call us to do that, and you tell us to do that, and we should, but Lord, at the same time, uh, it's not the end all, be all of everything in our relationship with you. One of the things that faith ought to do for us is, Lord, that whether we have or have not, because we have you, there ought to be a peace. There ought to be a sense of comfort. There ought to be a sense of confidence, knowing that you know better, that you are wiser, that you are more faithful, and you are still God who knows how to care for his children. And so, Lord, we pray, not only in the things that we know are contrary to what we confess in our faith, but also, Lord, that the good things that you give to us, the good things that we work for, the good things that we experience in life, we pray that we confess those things as well. If, Lord, they have become bigger than you as well in our life. If we really say what we say, if we really believe what we believe, help us to put you again in the center of our life. 
Let all things revolve around you. Give us the strength to live up to that. Give us the grace to pick it up when we fail and help us to confess our sins before you in Jesus Christ, our advocate, our sacrifice, our Lord and Savior. In Christ's name we pray, amen.